0: We are on week five of a seven-week series uh, called Worship. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we talked about worship in relationship. We talked about worship in spirit and in truth. Worship in freedom uh, was last week, and worship in perspective is this week. So when we talk about worship, um, some words that come to the surface and come to the forefront of our minds is the words um, emotions— You've noticed we've talked a lot about emotions. We also talked about energy and passion, excitement, noise, and celebration, and and song, and and singing. And when you walk in the door and you see worship take place, uh, there's some people that have their hands raised, one hand, two hands, three hands. Some people might even want to move to their knees. There's just a lot of emotions that are happening. And you can easily walk in and say, well, that person must really be worshiping because that person is has a lot of emotions that's coming out of them. Or this person may be not worshiping because this person doesn't have the emotions um, coming out. And we start to think of, well, is there a right way to worship? Is there a correct way to worship? Should we have one hand up or two hands? Or is it okay to just close our eyes? Is it okay that we can feel God's presence in those things? The answer is, it is okay. Everything is okay in our posture to worship. The Bible does not give you know, um, directions in the posture, but the Bible gives us specific directions on a perspective on how we should worship, on a perspective on how we should worship. Let's look at two different perspectives as we go into Scripture. There's a, somebody that walks in in a book, book of Luke, it's a parable, about this person that came in and, and worshiped. When this person came in and uh, worshiped, there was definitely some emotions that were going on. There was an energy and there was a passion that was taking place. Let's read this story, and I want you to see his energy of emotions, of, of passion, of what is happening in him. Luke 18.10 says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now we'll be referring to the tax collector, not the Pharisee. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about him. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers and evildoers, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week and give him a tenth of all I get. But, here comes the tax collector. The tax collector stood at a distance. The temple is where he approached God and worshiped him. But the tax collector is not even approaching God to worship him. He's standing at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This guy is hardly even approaching God. This guy doesn't even feel like he should be approaching God. And what does he do? He stays away from the temple. He lays on the ground, beats his breast, and says, God, have mercy on me. I can't even look up to you. A sinner. But then the parable makes an amazing comment. I tell you that this, rather than the other this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. So what did this posture of worship look like? What did the emotions in, this per, in, in worship look like? What did the energy, what did the passion look like? This person was flat on the ground. Just understand the scene. This person was flat on the ground, refusing to lift up his head because of the holy God that he was standing in front of. Now, we just sang a couple songs, and um, I didn't see anybody in that, in that posture. Well, if you look at this verse, it says, you know, this is acceptable worship. Why weren't we in the posture if this is acceptable worship? Should we be in the posture? In fact, there can even be some confusion going on. What kind of posture should I be in? What kind of emotions should I be having? Let's look at another passage of somebody worshiping. And I will tell you before we get into the passage that this person's um, um, energy is um, a little bit different the person that came in before God is almost like a funeral. But this person carries a little different energy. Psalms 50, 150, 1 through 6. Praise the Lord. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him in the acts of power. Praise him in the surpassing greatness. Praise him with sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the, sing- with the strings of the flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding symbols. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Now, that is completely opposite, is it not? Somebody laying down, I can't even lift up my head, and yet somebody almost standing up with a proclamation of, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, God. Is Psalms 150, is this unacceptable worship to God? It's completely acceptable worship to God. Well, what about the other one that was acceptable worship to God? So we can look at this and say, you know what? When it comes to worship, am I doing it right? The one who does it right is the one that puts worship into perspective. What do I mean, and what perspective should we have? Number one, we must worship in the context of death and resurrection. This one guy, it's almost a funeral. But all of a sudden, this other guy, it's almost like a party. The entire Bible is about one specific incident. It is about the incident that Jesus came to earth as a man, died on the cross for our sins, and then rose again. The whole Old Testament is working towards that, and the reason why they're working towards that is because they know a Savior is coming. Therefore, after Jesus came, what did he do? He saved all those in the Old Testament by what he did. And then after that took place, we can look back at the, um, in the New Testament, we see it happen, but we can look back right now and say, well, we are alive and we have salvation. Why? Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's the entire theme of the Bible. But if you want to worship God in the perspective that God wants us to worship him, what should we do and what is worship? Worship is putting yourself into that story, the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus. What is worship? Worship is putting yourself into the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The death and resurrection of Jesus has happened, but now what I want to do is I want to put myself inside of that story and give glory. What do I mean by that? Let's continue to work through it. Number two, um, worship in the context of death. We are dead in our transgressions and sin. This is how we are supposed to worship. In the context of death, we are dead in the transgressions and sin. Uh, What does that uh, mean? trying to figure out what that means. What that means is that we do not deserve to live. We do not deserve the breath in our lungs. We do not deserve to have anything, any comforts, what we should have at all. In fact, if we have earned anything, the thing that we have earned um, is, is hell. Uh, we do not deserve heaven. We should not have heaven. We have earned hell, deserved hell, and that is really who we are. And that is what the Bible consistently proclaims all the way through the Bible. Let's look at some verses. Ephesians 2.1. As you You are dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, if you look into the Greek and you try to find out what this word "dead" means, do you know what you're going to find out what the word "dead" means? You're going to find out that it means it it means dead. I mean, it means not dead with one eye open and not dead with a leg that twitches. It means completely dead. And then, if you try to find out the explanation of what "dead" means, um, we can put our mind somewhere else, and then we can start going to the grave. It means rot. It means disgusting. It means gross. It means something that you really don't want to come in contact with. The Bible is being very aggressive in this passage. It doesn't water anything down. It says what? You were dead in your trespasses and sin. In the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah stood before the Lord, and when he stood before the Lord, what did he do? He fell down on the ground with his face to the ground, and says what? Woe is me, I am ruined, and I am a man with unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. Completely destroyed because he understood his situation. He understood that he was nothing in the presence of God, and that he was dead. Colossians 2.13, you are dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. Romans 8.10, your body is dead because of sin. 1 Corinthians thirteen 15.22, for as in Adam all die. There's a proclamation of the state that every person is in. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is no righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison, of their, uh, the poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace, they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, who is that verse talking about? Since I read the verse, the verse is talking about me. And if you read the verse, the verse is talking about you. There is no one righteous, not even one. All of us are messed up. Now, this is a truth that uh, that we really don't like to hear, but yet it's a truth that the Bible continues to proclaim. Just want to show you um, a slide that we'll be working th- working through and working with. As we often think of ourselves as right here, normal, or well, not really that bad. The Bible wants us to think of ourselves as here. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are completely lost in desperate need of what? Desperate need of a Savior. So look at the context of death, but what else should we do in worship? Number three, look at the context of resurrection. Context of resurrection is we have been made alive in Christ who has raised us from the dead. Now, I uh, play the lottery twice a year and uh, buy two tickets. One of the tickets is for the Rogue River. And what takes place is I pay $10 and I get put into this huge lottery and if they draw my number, then I get a raft the Rogue River and that's the only way I'll be able to go. One out of nine chances I'll be able to get it. I also play the lottery in the Grand Canyon. I'd really like to get a permit on the Grand Canyon. So I apply and it's $25 a year. It's hard for me to write the check for $25. And the reason why it's hard for me to write the check for $25, because the chances of me getting it are very, very slim. They used to do a waiting list, and it took 20 years to get to the top of the waiting list after you got put on it. So it's, it's very, very slim. So writing the check for $25 is very discouraging. But in 2012, I won the jackpot. I won the lottery. Now, I will tell you that that did something to my emotions. What did it do to my emotions? It just filled me with joy, filled me with excitement, filled me with anticipation. What takes place when I apply? Why am I doing this? Why am I spending $20? There's almost like emotions that go, this is ugly, but then when you get it, what do you do? There is a celebration that just makes you alive. You see, when we're talking about the context of, of death and resurrection, we are dead in our sins But we can be, what, alive in Christ. Why? Because of the resurrection. Every verse that I read, I want to read it again. But this time I want to complete the verse. Ephesians 2.1, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. Now we read that part, but let's continue. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. I was lost, but I'm found. I am ruined, but I can be put together. With what? The resurrection. Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you what? Alive with Christ. He will forgive and wipe away everything that kills you, which is your sin. Romans 8.10, But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And then 1 Corinthians 15.22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. When you come in to worship, what should we do? If we want to grow a passion for God, if you want to grow a passion for service, if you want to grow a passion for singing, in fact, maybe you walk in the door and you think, well, I just don't have a passion. How do I get the passion? The way to get the passion is to worship in the context of the death that you deserve and yet the resurrection that you have. I just want to continue the chart, try to complete it in one sense, is that here is normal again. This is a good person. This is somebody who raises kids. Somebody has a good job. Somebody that would say, you know, I'm all right. There's not a problem with me at all. If you read the Bible, the Bible definitely takes you where? it will take you right down to level number five and say you are dead in your sin. Now, um, the way that we can do this, since this is Father's Day, let's just talk about um, a V10 engine, okay? So you got 10 points right here, five, five moving up, and you got five moving here. We should be five depressed at the very, very bottom if we read the Bible. But if Christ is risen from the dead, we're no longer normal Our excitement should be there. So let's just show the next slide. This is where we should be at when we come to worship. We are dead in our sins, but we are made alive in Christ, and that is anything but normal. However, when we walk into worship, some people walk in like this when it comes to passion. They're like, you know what? I'm normal. I am just blow normal a little bit. I'm not necessarily dead necessarily, but... You know i'm uh okay i do good at my job i do good at raising my kids i do good at the things that i need to do good at i'm not dead but i believe in that resurrection but if you believe that you're just a one point um uh, you're only working off one cylinder in your normal you're only going to work off one two three four five cylinders in regards to your passion of worship why because the resurrection does not have carry the value that it would if you understood exactly where you stand before God before you received the resurrection. Some people walk in like this. This person could be considered as one of the Pharisees. He walked in and said, I believe in the resurrection at the top five. And I'm also an amazing person that God desperately needs. This person walks in and says, you know, I don't know what God would do without me. You know, if I left town, this ministry would fail. You know, God needs me, and if God doesn't have me, you know what's going to take place? is things are not going to happen in this world, boy, God should almost be thanking me that I'm here. So what happens, that just gives us two, what? Cylinders to work on in worship. Why? Because we really don't care about the resurrection. The higher we think of ourselves, the worse we think about the resurrection, and we do not carry that value of the resurrection. Some people don't believe in the resurrection at all. Next slide. And they come in and say, you know, I don't feel good about myself. And I understand that I am not normal. Did you know that everybody in this world believes one thing? There's one common denominator that everybody believes. And that is is that we are messed up as human beings and messed up as, as individuals. Everybody knows that we're not normal. Some people go deeper and go, well, yes, and we're not normal as well. What is this? This entire despair, trying to work yourself up to what? Work yourself up to normal. Talk about a miserable life that would bring absolutely no passion. Where should this person be? Number five, bottom of death, but celebrating over the amazing resurrection that we have um, in Christ. So if we're going to worship in the context of death and resurrection, how do we do it? What do we do? How do we worship in the context of death and resurrection? One thing that took place in Acts Acts 2 is the gospel was given when the church was planted. And when the gospel was given, what did Peter say you need to do? Repent and be saved. Repent over what? Over the death and resurrection of Jesus. And after they repented and were saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus, they did something else. They were what? Baptized. What is baptism? Baptism is standing up in the water. Water comes up to your legs and you are identifying yourself with a death burial. And then what you're doing when you come out of the water with the resurrection of Jesus. This is what set the church aflame. And the reason why it set the church aflame is because people were saying, I'm not just wonderful. In fact, in God's eyes, this is who I am. Lost, but now I'm found. And then all the way through the Acts, they worshiped in the context of the death that they deserved and the resurrection that they had. So ask the question, how do we worship in that context? Number one on how to worship in that context. In worship, don't try to feel God. Look at God. And look at what? Look at his death and resurrection. One thing I really enjoy is I really enjoy watching um, my daughters um, play sports. A couple weeks ago, my youngest daughter had a soccer tournament, and she's an eighth grader, and she's moving up into high school. And as she's moving up to high school, um, we kind of wonder, okay, how is she going to do in regards to bigger kids, more organized, stronger, faster pace, stronger, you know, kicks and those things. And we were really looking forward to this tournament. Um, And as we went to the tournament, uh, what did we see? Well, we saw an aggressive girl. And what does dad do when he sees an aggressive girl? Knock people over and kick balls and make goals. It makes dad full of joy. It gives dad full of excitement, and dad starts getting louder and louder and louder and louder. And it seems like she got more aggressive, more aggressive, more aggressive, more aggressive. After the entire tournament, that team—I'm not mean to brag, but that team won. (laughs) Her team won first place and then tournament— and, um, and she made the majority of the goals. I said, yeah, that's, that's my daughter. Yeah, that's my girl. I will tell you, my emotions were controlled by the activity that was taking place in front of where? In front of my eyes. The, my emotions were not controlled in the activity of me trying to feel something. What happened is I looked at something and it filled me up. Now in worship, many people think, well, what we need to do is we need to have a feeling. I've got to feel God. In fact, I talked with three people this past week that were concerned with themselves. And the concern that they said is that I walk into church and there is energy, there is passion of worship as in a sense that they are feeling the presence of God and I don't have it in church. And as they are seeing it, feeling it, and I am not, they start bringing other things up. Did I commit the unpardonable sin? Does God love them more than me? Does God care for them and not me? Does God see their situation and answer in their prayers and not mine? This person says, I don't feel God. Explain to the state. Explain to me the state I am in. And my answer to him is what stop trying to feel God. That's a miserable life. Stop trying to feel God. Look at God. Because if you look at at the death and resurrection of what has already been done, something on the outside of you, what's it going to do? That is the thing that's going to give you the feeling. Your feeling is not going to come from within. Your feeling is going to come from without, and your eyes will see what is out, and what should your eyes see? Your eyes should see, I am lost, but now I'm found. I'm dead, but now I'm alive. And when you hold on to the chart that goes lower, 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 and hold on to the resurrection that goes higher and higher and higher, that is when we feel the energy. That is when we feel excited, not by what we're trying to find inside of ourselves, but what we have seen outside of ourselves, which is the death and resurrection of Christ. Ephesians 1.18-21 says, I pray that, my, that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. Paul is praying for people in the church, and this is his prayer, I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened with what? So that you will know what is the hope of your calling. Paul is praying, I want people to know the hope of their calling. If you look at the entire passage, the entire chapter, you will see what that hope of the calling is. I didn't write it all down, but the hope of the calling is that you were chosen before the foundation of the world, that your past has been completely wiped out and that your future will not ever go on again without God being next to it. Paul is praying, I hope that people's eyes would understand that. continues to go, What are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints? Open your eyes to what? The riches of his glory and the inheritance of his saints. That's a very confusing verse. And you say, well, what does this verse exactly mean? What this verse means is that we are God's inheritance and God is celebrating about what he is going to inherit, meaning us. God is excited about us. God loves us. God died for us. God is emotionally moved. Why? Because he is going to receive us as a result of what he has done at the cross. Paul is praying, I wish people's eyes would just open to that. Continue the passage. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? I will give them all the power. If their eyes could just open to it, God will give them the power they need. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. For above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come, all authority has been granted to him, and where is a huge pieces of his focus? Can you believe that it is us? To sum this passage up, open your eyes to what? To the foundation to, to, that you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Open your eyes that your past has been completely washed away, and your sin has been completely atoned for. Open your eyes at the future of God and he will not take one step without you. Open your eyes that Jesus is excited about you. Open your eyes that he loves you. He died for you. Open your eyes today that he will give you the power that you need to make it in this life. This is a living hope that we can see. When we say, I want to feel God, what are we trying to feel? I want to feel God. What are we trying to feel? Don't try to feel anything. Look at God, and you will be emotionally moved. Therefore, the challenge would be when you sing, sing with the gospel in mind, sing with the death of, that you deserve and the resurrection that you have on the forefront of your mind. Number five, in worship, don't try to empty your mind. Fill your mind with what? The death and resurrection. There is two forms of meditation. One is a worldly way, um, and the other is um, a biblical way. Um, there's many religions that um, have embraced the world way, including Hindu, Islam, New Age, yoga. Um, what is this um, way of meditation? The way of this meditation is to pull everything out of your mind. What you want to do is you want to clear your mind through absolutely everything. Don't think about anything. Don't meditate on anything. Just completely clear it and allow something to come in, the Bible is completely opposite in regards to that meditation. The Bible speaks, says specifically, "Don't empty your mind; fill your mind." In fact, sit down and cram your mind completely full to the brim. Joshua one eight, you will see that every time the word meditate is said, it has given you a direction for the meditation. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate, what? On it. On it day and night. Psalms 48, we meditate on your unfailing love. Meditation is not the emptying of the mind. Meditation is filling the mind, according to this passage, from its unfailing love. I will meditate on your works. I meditate on your precepts. Your servants will meditate on your decrees. I will meditate on your wonders. I meditate on your decrees. Meditate on your precepts. I meditate on it, which is talking about the law, all day long. I meditate on your status, that I may meditate on your promises. I meditate on your works, I meditate on your wonderful works. You will never see the word meditation without giving you a specific thing to shove your mind into. The emptying of your mind is not biblical meditation. The filling of your mind is biblical meditation. So when we come to worship, what should be taking place? Our minds should not be emptied. They should be full of what? The death and resurrection of Jesus as all of those things point specifically to that. Philippians 2:10 says that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The answer is done and the answer is in the resurrection and all of our knees are going to bow towards it and towards him who has completed it. Therefore it should be filled into our mind. Number 6, the heart of worship is understanding who you are and celebrating who he is and what he has done for you. It's easy to be happy about the resurrection, but it is not in our nature to understand who we are and what we deserve. It's not in our nature to say, I am not righteous, not even one. It's not in our nature to say, our works are even God's filthy rags. But as long as we hold on to that, I am a strong person and the resurrection is here, our passion will not grow. In my prayer journal, I just wrote some, down some Puritan prayers. And the reason why I wrote these down is because I needed to be reminded of where I'm at and what God has done. Because I understand that this is where my energy is going to come from, and this is where my passion is going to come from, in a sense of who I am. And yet who God is. So feel free to take these prayers and use them, put them in your journal if you'd like, but I'd just like to read them. God, I'm astonished at the difference between my receiving and my desiring, between the state of blessing that I'm in and yet the place that I should be, between the heaven I'm bound for and the hell that I merit. God, show me in myself, I am dying, condemned and wretched, but in Christ. I'm reconciled and live. God, I carry enough evil in me to be a devil, yet enough grace to be the Son of the Most High God. God, if there is any good in me whatsoever, it has not risen from my vile flesh, but from the deep springs of your amazing mercy. God, Christ was all anguish, so I might be all joy. Cast off, that I might be brought in. Trodden down as an enemy, so I would be welcome as a friend. Surrendered to hell's worst, so I can have heaven's best. Stripped that I might be clothed, wounded that I might be healed, a thirst that I might drink, tormented that I might be comforted, made ashamed that I might inherit glory, entered darkness that I might have eternal light, wept so all my tears will be wiped away, broken so I might have an endless song, endured all pain that I might have unfading health, O Father, who spare not thy Son, that you should spare me. God is the flame of my life to worship you, the crown of glory of my soul to adore you, and heavenly pleasure to approach you. Therefore, humble me before the dust, root out and tear out every pious weed of self-righteousness so I can worship you now. To worship, we have to understand the state of who we are, where we've been, and what we deserve, and then look at the amazing state, way beyond normal, of what we received, what we've been given, and what we have through the resurrection of Jesus. God, I just uh, thank you so much for the story, God. And it's beyond a story, but God, it is a story that we can look at of, uh, of what you have done for us. And God, just that, that statement of that story, God, is something that... Uh, is going to build our passion, and I just pray, God, that all of us take advantage of that story specifically to build the passion, God, that we all long for. May us never forget, God, um, the death that we deserve, and may us always remember, God, the resurrection that, that we do have. God, I just pray that every time we walk into this building and we sing songs, that this would be on the forefront of our mind as we, yes, bow down, but also as we consistently celebrate and sing very loud. Thank you, God. In Christ's name, amen.